Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Daniel chapter 2. Uh, for those of you who have been here these last couple of weeks, uh, we are in a study of the book of Daniel. Uh, we realize that uh, Daniel and his friends have been taken into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar has this terrible dream in chapter 2, and he, all his smart guys can't figure it out. They don't know what the dream is. He threatens them. Uh, Daniel uh, prays to his God with his three friends, and now he has uh, what God is doing in this dream, and he's uh, giving it to Daniel. Last week, we looked at an overview of these four kingdoms, five kingdoms, uh, and now we're going to really focus in on the fourth kingdom and the fifth kingdom, or the last kingdom, as we look at um, these, these last things that Daniel shares with Nebuchadnezzar. I'd like to read to you from God's word. If you would stand in honor of that, I'd like to start reading in verse 36, Daniel chapter 36. And God's word says this, this was the dream. Uh, now we will tell the, the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the, the God of heaven, uh, the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. Verse 38, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, he, the heavens making the rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and the toes partly of uh, potter's clay and partly of iron, it, it shall be divi a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of, of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron uh, mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay so that they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. Uh, and in the days of the kings, and in the days of the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever." Just as you saw that stone uh, was cut from the mountain by no human hand, and it broke, broke in pieces of iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made this known to you, O king, what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is, of God, God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. 
Then the king gave Daniel high honors and made uh, and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, chief prefect uh, over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of, of the king and he had appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. God, we ask your blessing on your word. Help us to understand it clearly. God, help us to love it and uh, look forward to the future because of what you've shown us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, so Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And uh, last week we looked at uh, the different parts. Larry, if you want to bring that up. Um, The different parts of this image, this image, he starts with a head of gold and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, that's you, your kingdom, king, the, you're the king of Babylon. Um, and there's going to be one after you, the second and third one. Uh, not a whole lot of details on it, but we know these to be the Medo-Persian kingdom. And then after that, the, the kingdom of Greece. And now we're going to look at uh, the kingdom after that, the kingdom of Rome, and even talk about the kingdom that God puts into place. If you look down with me, um, let's look at that fourth kingdom in verse 40. And it says, And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron. Strong as iron. And uh, each one of them, you look at um, the, the gold, uh, it's valuable, it's it's. Um, more valuable than silver and bronze or brass, some translations say. It goes in descending order, but it comes to iron, and iron stands out. It's really not a precious metal, but the idea of iron, it's known to be strong. And as you think about what happened in the Roman Empire, you see uh, there's great strength. And uh, I'll just go down some things that we know, both from the passage and from history, First of all, this section, this Roman Empire, is given the most details. Uh, I talked about the second and third uh, kingdom, and there, we don't have much. Uh, we have their metal and you know, their insignificance, or uh, that they were a little bit better and a little bit worse, and uh, we see very little of that. Um, as it moves on, as it moves on, we see it now coming to iron and the most detail, detail uh, there. As we read about this iron kingdom, uh, it says this, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it, uh, it shall break and crush all of these. This is what we see the, the conquering Romans doing. Uh, they went from city to city, crushing, uh, destroying, uh, leaving in a heap of rubble, uh, city after city that they had conquered. Um, It's interesting, as you look at the differing kingdoms, even Nebuchadnezzar, there was a sense of conquer, but try to save as much as you can uh, so that my kingdom would be wealthy in the future, where Rome was just obliterating people uh, right and left. Even though they were taking that land over, uh, it was left in a pile of ruin. We know this also, that the Roman kingdom lasted longer than these other kingdoms. Uh, that these other kingdoms were relatively short periods of time, and the Romans 
lasted for a longer period of time. And even as we look at this, we'll see them in the future as well. Uh, Iron is known for its strength, not for being pretty. Uh, There's not a whole lot of like uh, jewelry being made of iron. I guess today there is more, uh, but it's not the idea that it's this valuable uh, drawing in beautiful uh, metal, but it's known to be strong, uh, not necessarily pretty or functional even, uh, we could say that. Um, we also see in, in this that as the scripture tells us, you look down at um, verse 40 again, it says, uh, in the middle there, verse 40, it says, and like, um, like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these, all of these. And as you go on, you'll see it's a replacing. And when you get down to Rome, I, I want you to think through how this comes about. Nebuchadnezzar's hearing this. He's number one in this list of kingdoms. But it says, Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to be someone after you. There's going to be a kingdom after you. Um, as you think about uh, the kingdom coming after, I think it's important that that always happens. Always happens. And in this line, you have, uh, you have the Babylonian Empire replaced, replaced by the Medo-Persian Empire, replaced uh, by the Greek Empire, replaced by the Roman Empire. And there's this picture in line that everyone is going to be replaced. Great empires are going to be replaced. You see this in sports all the time, right? Uh, it's interesting, you know, those of you who have followed sports, uh, you're always asking the question, who is the greatest of all time? And most of the time we think whoever is playing at the time is the greatest of all time. But what happens is people get replaced over and over. And so this, this is what happens with empires. In fact, Uh, I can't help but think that right now we don't have an empire, right? Uh, Who who is the empire of the world right now? Some of your your blood's starting to boil up and stuff like that. You're patriots and you're going, America. We are the world power. We're better than everybody else. America. And I just want to say it's not like that. If you look at these kingdoms, they were the greatest of the world at their time. They controlled the most land. They controlled the most wealth. They were, they were in charge of uh, others, and there was no question. Right now, our, our world is, interestingly enough, there's the United States, there's China, and there's Russia. Uh, and some would include other countries in there. I'm not sure I would, but uh, you think of Rome, and you go, Rome's not all that significant right now, Right. Um, but there's going to be a comeback, I believe, because of the scriptures. Anyways, as we, we see this, know this, that one kingdom is replaced by the other. And, and that's what happens over time. And that's uh, one of the points of this passage is that there's a replacing effect. And now we are seeing Rome replacing Greece. We know from history and really from the not just extra biblical history, but New Testament history of the greatness of Rome. And, and a couple of things that they did really well was government. Uh, they organized government really well, as well as infrastructure, roads and cities and, and buildings and, and the idea of setting things up in order. 
And so we get this picture, um, and we get this picture actually from Nebuchadnezzar telling this dream of these strong iron legs that holds up this, uh, this Roman empire. Iron, this, this crushing, powerful Roman legs that holds up this empire. Um, this w- was how the world looked upon Rome. They looked at their strength and they feared it. They were not part of Rome. They feared Rome because they knew of its powerful strength. Not of its attractiveness, but because of its powerful strength. As we move on uh, in this fourth kingdom, verse 41, it says this, and as you saw the feet and the toes, uh, it, it connects these powerful iron legs with feet and toes. Um, and it's now no longer just iron, but iron and clay, iron and clay. Um, as you look at this down in verse 41, and as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay. Now, as you think about these two materials, you have clay, whether it be uh, soft clay or hard clay, you have on one side and then iron on the other, and you put them together, and it seems like a match that shouldn't be matched, right? Uh, you see this uh, incredibly hard iron put with clay. And if it's moldable, you have soft clay over here and this hard iron over here. Or um, if it's um, been cured, it's now hard, but it's brittle. And, and the idea of it adhering to one another, if you dropped something that was made of iron and clay, you know which part would break, Right. You, you, it, it's obvious, right? If you have a, um, an iron pot and a clay pot and you drop both of them, you know what's going to break first. But the idea is that they are put together. And you, even as I talk about it, I go, it doesn't seem like it fits. That's the point. That it doesn't mix. That it's not something that comes together. In fact, um, I, I think this is an example uh, even more drastic example of a phrase that we use that a, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And this kingdom is as strong as its weakest, you know, substance, which is what? Clay. And so you see uh, this Roman kingdom being both strong and brittle or weak. Uh, and it's hard for us to think that through. Uh, we I'll just warn you that um, some of this will be unsatisfying to you right now, but we will come back to this. We're going to get more details about these end time things in chapter seven of the book of Daniel. He's uh, God is revealing us a little bit in chapter two here, and then we're going to get a whole lot more starting in verse chapter seven. Um. I want to tell you this too that uh the um last end of this kingdom this Roman kingdom uh the, the Romans were brought down not by uh so much a conquering from the outside uh because they were strong as iron it was a a failure from the inside if you study Roman history you'll realize that their moral failings their idleness 
and their luxurious living and selfishness brought them down as a nation, uh, as an empire. Um, And I think we can relate to that, us being people from the United States, some of those same failings we are dealing with right now. As you look at this, you realize that he's talking further than the end of this kingdom. And I'll just tell you that um, there'll be a restoration, a second Roman Empire um, after the falling of this Roman Empire that we know from history, uh, there will be a future. As we look at this, I want to show you something pretty interesting. Verse 43, um, where is it? Verse 43, uh, Once again, he reiterates, he says, And you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they mixed with one in marriage, uh, but will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. Uh, There's different translations there. Instead of marriage, uh, it says intermingled, or a few different ways it it pictures this. But but, but I want you to see this. So why did Daniel go to Babylon? Do you remember uh, it wasn't because he was taking a vacation. <laughs> he was a captive, right? And he was, he was brought in there with his friends. And uh, we know from history and bits and pieces of the scripture, we're talking, I think there were three captivities, three taking into captivities. They were bringing him to Babylon. And, and what was supposed to happen to Daniel and his friends? Uh, we even see it in King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, edicts or his uh, instructions about what to do with these captives. Feed them from the king's table. Uh, you know, get them what they need. They're going to be part of the king's court. And what they were trying to do was assimilate them into Babylonian culture. They were captives that were supposed to be assimilated and to make Babylon strong. That's what happened every kingdom. It, it happens for every kingdom. It's this, this picture that they, to gain strength, they conquer people that they might assimilate. In fact, that's true of many nations. In fact, it's one of the things that uh, we love about the United States. We say about the United States, it's the great melting pot, right? Um, And, you know, maybe it was in the past, but in in the present, it looks like it's not going so well, right? This whole melting pot type thing that, that they're coming together. And so the picture here. Uh, and it's a word used for marriages of different people, of different nations, different uh, ethnicities, but also different um, faiths coming together and in- intermarrying. And so that word is translated roughly right there. That's what happened in Rome. This clay and this iron coming together, these different people from different places coming together and intermarrying. And But this is what it says. This is what it says. And it says this of an empire. This doesn't have much to do with marriage or anything else. But what does it say? Look look down at it. There's a very striking judgment of what what happened to this empire. Uh, Verse 43. uh, Right in the middle there it says, But they will not hold together. They will not hold together. I want you to hear that because I think that that's the picture and, and these are the Gentile. This is how godless people have empires. They have them like the Babylonian Empire. They have them like the Medes and the Persians, like the Greeks, like the Romans. And what happens? It doesn't hold together. 
Think about those words. It will not last. You can't take people and bring them together. And really, the, the only place it happens well is the church. It's the church. Because we have something greater that holds us together. It's Jesus Christ. It's sinners being held together by the Savior. And so you get this picture here of kingdoms. I, I would say it this way, four failed kingdoms or four temporary kingdoms or four uh, past kingdoms. I think it's important for us to remember that kingdoms do not hold together. Intermingled uh, thought that they could bring them together, both iron and clay, but in their weakness, uh, over time, it will not hold together. And I just say it this way. This, these are the results of Gentile kingdoms. It's the results. And, and you say, well, this is what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. This was kind of a, a history of the future for Nebuchadnezzar, for Daniel, for us this morning. This is what's going to happen. I want to share with you the one other kingdom, the one other kingdom. And I would just say it this way, God's kingdom. You turn the page or you uh, transition in verse 44 to this different kind of kingdom. In verse 44, it says, And in the days of the king's the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. I, who those kings are, uh, there's really two different ideas. One is the kingdoms of the failed kingdoms of the past, or uh, as most believe that it's the, the kingdoms of the future, the kings of the future, uh, as he looks at these toes, and we'll, we'll get into that, like I said, in chapter 7. But the picture here is of failed kingdoms or kingdoms or kings that cannot hold it together. There will be another kingdom. What is that kingdom? Well, it, it says there in verse 44 uh, that, that those kings that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. What an amazing uh, truth that we can count on for the days ahead is that this new kingdom, this different kind of kingdom, this last kingdom will be different. And what will happen? First thing, uh, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. <laughs> never be destroyed. So when a kingdom is at their height, that's what people think. Oh, this is going to last forever. We're more, you know, we, we have power beyond uh, what anyone can imagine. And all the kingdoms of the world cannot stop us. Politically, militarily, as a people, they'll never beat us. I want to tell you, uh, every kingdom of this life will fall. Every kingdom. But the one that God sets up in the future will never be destroyed. It also won't be left to another. 
Uh, I think that's an interesting thing. As these conquering kings went around, uh, there were quite a few of them that they just removed the king and then take over. All his wealth, all his armies, uh, you know, they just kind of, it's left to another. In fact, and sometimes it's actually left. The, the sun comes in and takes over. So it's not that it stops, it just goes on without them. And then that last uh, section there in verse 44, it says, uh, it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And I just want to say it this way, this kingdom will be a forever victorious kingdom. Forever victorious the, the other kingdoms will be crushed, will be done with, and this kingdom will stand forever. Well, what is this kingdom? Um, most people connect it with Revelation chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 6. There's some verses before that. There's some verses after that. But it says this, Then, then I saw, uh, John speaking, it's his vision of what things were to come. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding his hand, the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were ended. After that, he will be released for a little while. This passage is what most refer to as the millennial kingdom, uh, meaning thousand-year kingdom. Uh, There's different positions on this. I'll go over them real briefly. There's those who believe in an amillennial position, a premillennial position, and a postmillennial position. And I'm sure somebody's made something else up after that, okay? Uh, We're not going to dive deep on this, but I do want to talk about this for a minute. Um, I am a premillennial pastor. That's what I believe. I could be wrong, but I'm probably not wrong, okay? If you disagree with me, and maybe you take an amillennial or a postmillennial position, you're probably wrong. You're probably wrong. But you might not be. But you might not be wrong, okay? Let's not get stuck in the weeds on this one, okay? So let me explain what those are. Some of you are like, I don't know what I am. Tell me, Pastor, what am I? Um, An amillennial position takes this section, Revelation Uh, that talks about this thousand-year period of time, and it doesn't see it as actual thousand-year. Let me just read how how this goes. An amillennialist believe that the millennium is a heavenly rule inaugurated at the death and resurrection of Jesus and concluding with his return. Uh, The thousand-year span given in Revelation 20 that I just read is not a literal thousand years. Rather, it symbolizes a long period of time. It represents the entire church age uh, from the cross to the second coming. Meaning this, uh, I've told you like a billion times. Okay, you know what I mean, right? A billion times I've told you this. Uh, what, I, what I'm saying is that I haven't actually said to you a billion times, it's just a lot. It's just a lot. 
And that um, as John saw this, uh, that what he was saying under the inspiration of God is that this would be a thousand years, like a lot of years, a lot of years. Um, that's the amillennial position. Secondly, let's look at the premillennial position. It looks at Revelation chapter 20, that section, and even connecting back to this, um, there's a simple definition of premillennialism. It's the belief that after a period of severe tribulation on earth, the Lord Jesus Christ will visibly and bodily return to the earth and then will rule and reign on the earth for a period of 1,000 years of peace and prosperity. Um, that taking that section there, when it says a thousand years, you know what it means? Thousand years, a thousand years. And as you look through the book of Revelation, you're going to see events, and it comes at a certain time after the tribulation that there's a thousand year period in there. We don't, I'll be honest with you, we don't have a lot of information about this, but we do have that specific piece, um, and this is well pointing to that. Uh, the post-millennial, the post-millennial position, there's not that many people who believe this, but it's very similar to the all-millennial position. Um, and it interprets this Bible prophecy as well as others, uh, that the millennial kingdom will be established by the church, not by Christ himself, but by the church doing its work and the wor world will become a better place. And uh, that will usher in, and it'll be before, and it's very much like the amillennial spiritual kingdom. There, there's a simple reason why there's not many people who believe in the postmillennial view. Uh, it's because the world has to become a better place, and most of us have not seen that, uh, that the world is becoming a better place. And so uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense as well as the idea of the thousand years. Anyways, I want to I want to show you something um, that as we look at this kingdom that is to come, you have uh, you have a lot of the, you have the specific passage in Revelation twenty, but you also have a lot in the book of Matthew where it speaks of his kingdom that will come or the kingdom of heaven, and and the picture here is this that you have a, a, a physical. A uh, thousand year reign here on earth that, that, that pictures what it is to be under Christ. But you also have the kingdom of heaven and the new heaven and the new earth. And what you see there is that Christ's reign will be magnificent, will be magnificent. It will be, uh, it will be wonderful. It will be different than any other kingdom. As you look down at verse forty. Yeah, let's look at verse 45, 45. He says, just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain, not by human hand, by no human hand, and that it broke to pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold. Once again, we get drawn back to this stone. And, and there's an image, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, there's an image, but there's kind of off to the side, there's this stone. There's this stone. And, and we get from his dream this picture of this stone crushing all others and turning them to chaff, which means to worthlessness that's just going to be blown away and forgotten. And now we get in the interpretation 
that this stone, not cut by human hand, meaning from God, from God himself. Um, Some people see this specifically as Jesus. I would see it as most likely God himself, his plan and his purposes reflected in Christ. Because it's everything. At the point of time where he's writing this, he's, he, Christ is not on the scene yet. It is to come. But the picture here is this, that he's not just crushing the iron and the clay, the toes and the feet, but also the iron legs, but also uh, the, the brass or bronze uh, part right here, the, the middle section, also the silver arms and, and shoulders, also the head of gold. And the picture here is this, that no kingdom, no kingdom will last against God's kingdom, the kingdom he is bringing. I want to tell you that's super important for us to remember as God's people. Sometimes we get so tied in here and wondering about the future of the United States or what's happening in our world and what's going on and uh, what are the Chinese really doing? And, uh, you know, when is, where did the coronavirus come from? And, you know, what is going to happen in the future? And I just want to tell you, he, God puts this before us, his kingdom. And he says, let me tell you what's going to happen in the future. I'm going to come. I'm going to come and my kingdom uh, will be over all others. It will bring others to shame. It will uh, bring them to pieces and it will never be destroyed. As Daniel ties up uh, this revelation, uh, this interpretation of this dream, he says to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, a great God, meaning Daniel's great God, has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Even as uh, Nebuchadnezzar wanted the interpretation to his dream. Now Daniel had accomplished that by God's own giving. We uh, see this last section here, and I'll just go through it briefly. Verse 46, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar, I'll just summarize this. King Nebuchadnezzar, his mind was blown. Uh, He was amazed. Uh, He was high and mighty. He was undone by this dream. He was bossing people around and threatening people. And then Daniel came through. Not Daniel came through, but Daniel's God came through. And Nebuchadnezzar's response is that he, it's almost uncomfortable the way he says, he worshiped Daniel. He, He fell down and worshiped Daniel. And it wasn't that he... Uh, he realized that Daniel was something special. He knew that Daniel's God had done something special for him. So Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar worshipped Daniel, but he knew that it was Daniel's God. He declared the greatness of Daniel's God. And by the way, that should be our lives to an onlooking world. Uh, An ungodly uh, world should see us and see the way we live and what we're doing and God's work in our life. And they should praise our God. They should praise our God. They would see our God as being great in us. Um, You see Nebuchadnezzar also um, coming good on his promises of exaltation. He gave him power. He exalted Daniel in the Babylonian kingdom. He also gave him great wealth and gifts uh, because he had done what no one else could do. 
And then it lastly says that Daniel exalted his friends, that he uh, had those ones that he had prayed with and cried out to God with, uh, he asked that they would be exalted as well and be a part of the powerful kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. I want to conclude with uh, some things that maybe will help us put this into perspective for us here today. Uh, The first thing is this, is that we would remember that this world is not going to last. This world is not going to last. I think that sometimes we think it is. We think it is. We think we're going to, this kingdom or the greatness of what we're experiencing today, it's going to go on forever. It's not. This world is not going to last. And so for us to just keep that in mind as we are living, that we are living in a temporary world as part of a temporary kingdom. Secondly, I'd say this. Don't be on the latest bandwagon or be swing voting, okay? You think about uh, how... um, Daniel and his friends must have felt coming into a a different uh, culture, society, uh, different religious practices, different pagan things going on around them. What were they called to do? It was that whole intermingling, intermarrying. It was that idea of now become a part of us. But as God's people, we're not looking to get the next great deal, are we? We're not looking, we're not up for sale Uh, going with this kingdom rise and it falls and where's the next great thing? What's the next great bandwagon that I can jump on? I'll, I'll switch, I'll do whatever. We are not up for sale. And so for us to really maintain our distinctiveness and not jump on the next bandwagon. And then lastly, I'd say this. How do you prepare? How do you prepare? Well, you prepare for all of this by trusting in Christ today. Um, This should be exciting for us, exciting for us, that there's going to be a kingdom without end, that it'll be the last kingdom. It'll be the conquering or victorious kingdom forever. And the only reason we shouldn't be excited about that is if we're not a part of it. If, If we're not... Uh, involved in that, if we're not part of that kingdom. And the only way to be a part of that is that we've trusted in Jesus Christ, that he's our savior, he's our king. And the king that's coming is our king. And we're excited, we're, we're waiting, we're longing for him to come because we're gonna be a part of his kingdom forever. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're just trying to be a moral person, if you're a, uh, just floundering around in life, uh, whatever, whatever you are, um, today's your day to come to Jesus, to trust him with your life so that you can be excited about the kingdom that is to come. God, thank you for this morning. God, we ask your blessing on this time and that, that, that we've shared in your word. May it uh, continue to transform us. May we be excited about the kingdom that is to come. God, thank you for all you've done. Uh, Thank you for revealing this uh, to Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and so to us. Um, God, help us to understand in the days ahead as we continue our study in the book of Daniel. May we become more excited and more faithful knowing that you've done it all for us and you're preparing this place. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.